hello, good people. It is your friend, Rashawn Ali, excited about another edition of the Cool Sword Podcast today. And we are joined by a cool bruh of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Really happy to have him on. Hey, remember, guys, we definitely need your comments. We need your reviews on iTunes. Five stars to be exact. All right. So make sure you are doing that. Make sure you follow us on all of our social media platforms. Instagram, Twitter, and down to the Facebook at Cool Silver. Okay, please do so. So this gentleman that we have on today, Sean Rochester, is a financial guru. Yes, he is. And uh, he has written a book called The Black Tax. And he will explain everything in that book, kind of tell you what you need to do to really, truly reach financial freedom. So I'm really excited to have him on if you hear some noise in the background, it's because I am actually doing the intro at Bar Taco. But I knew I had to get this particular uh, intro in so that I can deliver a show to you. So if you hear the festiveness behind us, well, that's because I'm doing my work in a festive environment. So please enjoy Stewardship Ownership Legacy with Sean Rochester. Enjoy. You know you gotta be a cool soror to talk to the cool soror herself. I'm a cool soror. Hey y'all, I am a cool soror of. What's up, y'all? I'm a cool soror of. Hi, I am a cool soror of. podcast hosted by me Rashawn Ali. It is another edition of the Cool Sora podcast and we always love having the cool bras on and today we are joined by a financial guru. This man knows everything from beginning to end about African Americans and the black tax. That's what we're talking about today and he is Sean Rochester and you are a cool bra of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Well, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Super excited to be on with you. Good, good, good. So let's talk about, you know, let's just give me a little bit of, of your background and how you got into uh, this space of, of writing this book, The Black Tax, The Cost of Being Black in America. Take me all the way back to uh, college when you said, hey, I'm on a mission to, to kind of change this narrative. Um, wow, you're going way back. I mean, that's how we got to do it like that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I went to University of Rochester, uh, undergrad, and yes, that is my last name. Yes, I know, right? Yeah, yeah yes, I did hear about that every day. <laughs> I'm sure. Right. Um, and uh, I think, you know, just like other um, individuals, I was fantastic. Like other individuals, you know, I was very engaged. Um, you know, in our community, mm-hmm. right? It always mattered to me uh, to be able to have an impact right? and to, to uplift our young people. So, you know, I was an engineer undergrad and I was part of National Society of Black Engineers. You know what I mean? And before it was called STEM, we did a we did something called pre-college initiative. So we were very, very engaged mm-hmm. in getting young people, especially like in middle school, uh, interested in math and sciences. Uh, you know, you're a part of many different organizations right. Right? Uh, and so on and so forth. So I've, I've always been like very much engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, you know, I was a member, a member of Alpha Phi Alpha. And, you know, you we we had discussions about race. Right. Uh, and, you know, we take that lineage uh, seriously. Right. Uh, the, the impact that our forebears have had right across the board. And we want to be able to 
to extend that. And right. even and even an undergrad, you try your best, right? You know, we're all on different uh, committees and organizations, and, and we're, we're trying to make the biggest impact we can make mm-hmm. while having fun doing it, so, so on and so forth. So, like, people who know me, um, who, who've seen me speak, even from undergrad, say, I think you've been writing this book since undergrad. Yes. Right? Because this seems really, you know, consistent. Um, and in a way, yes, right? Mm-hmm. And, and in a way, not so much, you know, because when I graduated, I was a chemical engineer. And I, and I went off and I did that, you know, engineering work for a number of years. Right. I, I went back to school, and got an MBA uh, from University of Chicago, which was a terrific experience. Met mm-hmm. a lot of phenomenal folks, especially just amazing brothers and sisters there who've gone on to do great things. Right. Um, I worked in corporate America for a while and, and I did like mergers and acquisitions and strategy at, at a couple of different firms. And I used to run um, mergers acquisition strategy for a portfolio of companies, maybe about $1.2 billion, mm-hmm. and, and did that globally. So I was really, really blessed to travel all over Asia. I've been to probably 20, 25 cities across China many, wow. many different times to see, you know, the things that have been happening, uh, economic development kind of across the world. Yeah. Uh, but I, I used to travel extensively, and, and then I got to a point where it was like, that's not sustainable mm-hmm. for your family. Right. Yeah. And it's like, well, what are you going to do different and and what kind of impact do you want to have? And I've, I've always wanted to have an impact. So even while I was doing that stuff, like we were part of an organization that gives money to uh, black students going from high school to, to college. Mm-hmm. Right. So we were on a scholarship committee for that organization. My wife, uh, who was also a Delta, mm-hmm. um, was was the chair. And during our tenure, we gave out over two million dollars. Right, of scholarship wow, money wow. to high school students and, and black university students. So we always try to be in, engaged. When it when it comes to like the the black tax and mm-hmm. where does it come from? Mm-hmm. We we started a company a couple of years ago uh, called Good Steward LLC. And right. We focus on financial education and financial advisory work. We we help people build financial plans. Right. And we educate them about what people call financial literacy. Yes. But I don't like that word because we call it personal financial management. Right. Yes. Uh, because just because you're literate doesn't mean you read the things you should. Mm-hmm. Right. But um, and in that work, we focus on three critical things, stewardship, ownership and legacy. OK. Right. So and, and, and I call that the soul, which is stewardship leads to ownership, which ultimately oh. leads to legacy. Right. Right. So stewardship is about how to manage the limited resources we have to the highest and best use to drive cash flow. No cash flow, no conversation, no business, no college funds, so on and so forth. Ownership is about the outright outright owning it. No one else has claims to it but you. Right. Right. Or but or but me, because in this day and age, we have mistaken possession for ownership. Hmm. Right. Yes. So now we're allowed to possess things ahead of owning it. Right. Right. But I try to focus like uh, our, our clients and students and so on and so forth on, on the notion of, of ownership. Right. You can see possession, but you can't see ownership. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the idea of legacy, which is three parts. Very simple. A is actually having resources so that when we call it quits, we're done. We can live in dignity. B is having assets to pass on. 
right? Yes. Scripture says a good man or woman leaves an inheritance for their children's children. That's a different mindset to be on that level, mm -hmm. right? And the other part of it is is we believe strongly in setting aside resources. So when you see something in your walk, you can do more than just pray about it. Right? Yes. You can make it happen. But that whole conversation, right, is based around cash flow, right? Because mm -hmm. it's cash flow that's enabling all these things. So the notion, so, so we start to become really, really focused on things that increase cash flow and things that decrease cash flow. Okay. That's kind of sets the the framework over whether or not we should do more of something or less. The notion of a black tax and the black tax is the financial cost of discrimination against black people in America. Yes. Right. The, the, the idea of that is to the extent that there is a cost and there is, and to the extent that discrimination exists and it does, and it shows up as a cost, that's an effect on cash flow. Mm hmm which means that affects ownership and it means that it affects legacy. Yes. So the whole importance of this discussion is because it has a negative and a massive negative impact on, on legacy. Yes, it does. Well, so, how do you, how do you even for, for me, I want to stop you really quickly for me. I've been trying to have this real tough financial conversation with my husband because I just don't feel we're, we're not, we're not, we're not doing a good job setting ourselves up with the three things that you have said, stewardship, ownership, and legacy. Um, at 42 and 15 years married, I don't feel like we have established ourselves well. Is it too late to get started? And what do you say is that first step to, try, to trying to clean it all up? So um, the answer is absolutely not too late to get okay. started. Okay. Right. I mean, you're, you're looking at typically 23 more years, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. People use this kind of 65 number, right? Okay. Just throw it out, right? That's 23 more years, right? That's, that's a lot of time. Okay. Right. When, when we're talking about the first step, the first step is, is the idea of stewardship, right? Yes. So, so, and that's, it sounds easy, but it's actually difficult. I mean, that's where we spend the bulk of our time, right? Because stewardship is about understanding, like, your cash flow position, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And and that's tough for different reasons. One, we kind of got a sort of got an idea. Yeah. We, a lot of us don't have a lot of detail on what we're doing. And, and the work that we do is very detailed, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's, it's done in a way, like I'm the kind of person who focuses on, on root cause analysis. Let's get to the thing that's driving 80, 90% of the problem, right? That's where we want to focus our efforts. So for a lot of men, they're not really so interested in budgeting, right? Yeah. Because, you know, ballers don't have budgets type of thing, right? Uh -huh, uh -huh. So, but they are interested in legacy. But legacy is a future statement and you need to see what the future could be, Yes. right? So the first thing we got to do is figure out where are we now? If you put a map on the, on the table, right, we'll spend a lot of time talking about where we want to go. But the most important thing is actually where you are now. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's that because then you can plot the, the appropriate course, trajectory, so on and so forth. Yeah. Unless we know where we are now. So it's, it's really drilling down to that and figuring out what our cash flow position is. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that tells us everything. Like for, for some folks, um, they're they're net negative. And we're, we're trying to get them to zero. Yes. Right. By clients who are, who are 1500 in a month on a whole. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're doing that by you're either massively depleting cash 
you're either ra- ratcheting up uh, credit card bills or yeah. you're barred from friends and families, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. None of which is sustainable. Um, so, and to do that, people need to understand what their phantom expenses are. This is actually the most important thing. Phantom right? expenses. Phantom, phantom expenses. expenses. Okay. The, the most important thing, right? Because, you know, you know what your mortgage is, cell phone, your insurance, pay, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know these things, right? Right, regular, right? regular statements, right? Phantom expenses are things that we are committed to and that we're going to do, but that we don't track. Ah, oh, okay. Right? Yeah. And that could be that could be up to 25 percent of our budget. Yes. It's right? funny because we were looking at the you know Bank of America. They do all this split stuff. And it was like, you know, almost like a miscellaneous of the money we spent. And it was like an extra fifteen hundred dollars a month of like M.I.S.C. I'm like, what Absolutely. is this? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And, and so so we, we focus like people into let's get underneath the phantom expenses. Mm-hmm. I, like I, I'm not going to borrow your watch and tell you what time it is. Right. right? We're not going to go through this. And I'm telling you what your mortgage like, you know what that is. Yes. Right. But we don't know what our phantom expenses are. Right. And then the other thing we have to avoid is uh, something I call negative multipliers. Mm-hmm. Right. And those things are dependent on the person and the couple. It's the things that have a massively disproportionate negative effect if you cut it okay. right so what is so like, what is that i give you kind of example it kind of depends on the person right okay. so I'll, I'll give you this like let's you know you, you're 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 working right your mom wife you got a business there's a lot of stuff that that you're dealing with you know what i mean mm-hmm. and uh for the individual the the manicure pedicure or okay that there's something that helps you keep your sanity. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That allows you to decompress. You know what I mean? Right. When you're, when you're think now, when you're thinking about cutting, we have to understand what those things are for individuals and for the household. Right. Right. Because if you cut that, that just winds up having a much larger negative effect. You don't want to do that. You mm-hmm. want to identify those things for you and for your husband, right? The mm-hmm. People involved in relationship. And then, and then say, okay, we're, we're not going to go at those because we understand the, the negative multiplier, but everything else is on the table, right? Yes. And that way, we're not, we're not setting ourselves up for failure because I want to win. Like, I want my clients to win. I want us to win. We're right. in the worst economic position possible. We own 2% of U.S. wealth. Oh. Like, we are not winning. Like, people out here talking like, like we've come so far. And I, I hear that. We 2% come from 0.2%. of U.S. wealth. Two percent like that to me is that's not it's not acceptable. Right. For me. Right. And it's not I know it's not acceptable for us. So these things like help us to figure out what is that cash flow kind of position now. And then you can start doing conservative things like like, okay, are there things that are reasonable and repeatable that we could do cuts that we could make? in a realistic way that I could increase our cash flow. Yes. Nothing like I don't do any form of, you know, you're going to become your business is going to triple and mm-hmm. we're going to have that cash flow. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're going to become VP of North America and now you're going to go to make 350 a year. I, we don't assume none of that. Right? We just start at the base level and we grow with what people have right now. Okay. Everything else is, is gravy. Okay. Right. And then once you have that, then you can start maximizing everything else that can help inform like your debt elimination strategy. Mm-hmm. Got to have cash flow to do that. Right. 
And then you can start thinking about what your assets of retirement could look like over the next 23 years. Okay. And once you see what that could be, and that's the problem, like we never know what it could be, right? Yeah. Once you see what it could be, then you start to say, like I have clients, right? And they'll be like, well, I want to take three vacations. Mm-hmm. And they can, like they, they can do it, right? But they've never seen what that means to their assets at retirement. Yeah. Because a, a, a non-baller type vacation, which is regular, average spend, family of four is like 12 grand. Yeah, I know. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you're not balling, right? So when you start talking about three, it's like $40,000. But but if I tell you what that is over 23 years, you might decide, well, I could do one. Yeah. And I want to do other things with that money, right? right? It's having to be able to see like this is what it could look like. And if I want to preserve that, I'm going to take actions to to be able to preserve it and i'm going to try to avoid actions that put it in, in jeopardy and because you have a, a goal that the whole family unit is working for it's easier to have agreement when we're kind of doing those things yeah well how important is it for us to have someone like you guiding the way because we i've never been the person in our relationship that has been i know i'm making this so personal but it's going to help so many people but the person that's been the strongest financially and so uh we got to a point where i kind of dealt with the finances and i'm not really good at it and now i really want him to kind of take over it but i just feel like because we have not progressed much at all since our marriage we have to bring someone in so how important is for us to have a sean in our lives I think it's 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 really important. Like everyone has people have people have natural abilities and skill sets, mm-hmm. but they still have coaches to fine tune things. Yes, yes, right. Even even the best folks, right? And so I think it's really important. It's also important to understand like what the some people are there just to help you to figure out how to allocate things, mm-hmm. right? Right. Uh, part of the reason we started this is because our, our, our problem as a community very often is not how do I allocate a million dollars of assets across various asset classes? Mm-hmm. That's not our issue. Our issue is how do we accumulate it? Yes. How do we even get it in the beginning? How do we get there? Right. And and that's where you, you need to have someone who's focused on how do you get there? Yes. Not just what do you do with it when you get there? Right. It's a segment. Those those kinds of folks. Um, and the reason, like, like we do this is because, you know, we when when we go through like the stuff with the black tax, we'll see why we, we don't have this wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Like, this isn't people's fault, right? Like, I had to figure all this stuff out the hard way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and most of us, almost all of us, do as well. You know, like my mom came to this uh, country. You know, you didn't need to get her focused on saving, right? Like, she was. If you told her what to do, she would get it done. Yes. But she didn't have people around her that were had accumulated resources. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? She mm-hmm. didn't have people to give her that information so she could know what what to do. And there are a lot of us in that position. Like if we had the information, man, we could accumulate a lot. Yes. Quick thing I'll say is, you know, for a lot of our like young people graduating from college, like they're awesome to work with because mm-hmm. they got so much r- runway ahead of them. Yes. <laughs> right. But we all kind of come to Jesus around like. 34, 35. Right. right? <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, you know, I want to save, I want to do this, I want to build this, I want to build that. You know what I mean? I want to, you know, get my situation straight. But the problem there is we've lost so much over that 12, 14 year period, mm-hmm. you know, that it's hard to, to get to get back to. So that's, it's kind of a long winded. Um, no, it's not. It's answer. perfect. 
<laughs> but, but, you know, it's not too late. Um, definitely important to have, like, you know, a financial coach. And I would say one that's that's focused on helping you to accumulate resources. Mm-hmm. For some people, it's how do I allocate? You know what I mean? For some people, they do have that problem, right? Yeah. But the vast majority of us are not in that. In no. that so what is the key to accumulating, like the, the like even getting in position to start the, the ownership and the legacy? I know that's kind of a repetitive question, but like I'm a TV personality. My husband's a school teacher. I mean, we do have other businesses, but they aren't really generating a whole lot of money. So much of our money now is really the operational cost of our just our living. So, yep. you know, for, for if we were sitting across from you, like what would you what would you instruct us to do at, you know, at this juncture? So we, it's firstly, it's it's, it's tough to advise, mm-hmm. advise in a vacuum. Okay, gotcha. Right? Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I see people doing that. They never have the real context. Yes, right? they got all these different answers yeah. for folks, right? So I just want to kind of throw that out there. It's very difficult. Okay. To to do that, like what what we would be doing mm-hmm. is first we we would have to get a detailed look at your P and L. I mean, you, we are our own businesses, right? Yes. We have our income statement. We know what's what's coming in. Some of us know well what's coming in, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's it's the itemization of everything that we're spending money on, mm-hmm. right? To figure out what's our cash flow position, yeah, right. And that sounds simple. That takes a long time, right? Yeah. Because people don't actually know how much they spend on groceries. Like the fourth largest bill. Right? Oh my gosh! So we, yeah. when we went through it, because I'm so this uh, this conversation is so on time. When we went through it, I'm like. No, honey, I don't spend that amount. I spend way more than that on groceries. Like, and then, and you look around, you look at everything that you spend. You're like, but I'm not going out getting Louis Vuitton bags. I'm not going out getting Prada shoes. But why don't I have money? <laughs> you know, it's the, just crazy. Yeah. The first stage is 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 like all of it's zero judgmental, right? But it's yeah. just a matter of where are we? Mm-hmm. Let's just capture everything. Because what you want to do is is capture all the stuff that that's happening. And then you want to capture all the phantom expenses. Mm-hmm. So phantom expenses could be, you know, it's as simple as you got 15 cousins. You love them to death. You know that no matter what their mama says, you buying them Christmas gifts, mm-hmm. you buying them birthday gifts, you buying all of that kind of stuff, right? right. It's all cool. Right. That should be on your budget. Mm-hmm. You understand? But it's not. Right, right, right. right. But, but we're going to spend it. See, that's part of that phantom, right? So the idea isn't to say cut that out. It's to say acknowledge it. That right? is there, yes. Put it there, right? And then let's keep that thought process going and figure out what are those things because they are unique to the individual and they're unique to the household. Okay. Right? Okay. So you go through all that. And that, that that's a two-part step. That's just where are we right now? And and then it's, okay, are we sure that this is the case? And we go through it because if that number at the bottom is not familiar to you, then we left things wrong, right? right? That's uh-huh. the rate at mm-hmm. which your credit cards are increasing. It's the rate at which you're bank account is increasing or decreasing like it's going to be familiar yeah right right um and then it's a matter of all right you know is there a way to, to kind of increase that because there's some things we're going to do with that cash flow and that's really really um important to go through those steps there's so much learning mm-hmm. that happens throughout that process right things sound very very easy but often they're not you got to go 100 different places to track down things that we're actually spending and what do you really spend on maintenance for the car and, and all kind of different things right yeah, yeah well once you you get that then that tells you what the next step is if it's negative the next step is to get it to positive 
you're right. We, yeah. When you're in a hole, first thing, stop digging, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if it's positive, it's can we make it larger? Because there's some things that we need to do with that cash flow, mm-hmm. right? And then it's it, then there's other things like you know there's so there's there's tax deferred money that's on the table, right? If you're working uh, for an employer, there's there's things like 401ks and so on and so forth, right? Those can be enormously beneficial. A lot of people view those things as expenses, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, th- those can be huge. So it's it's kind of like, you know, where are we with that? Are really capturing it? Like everybody wants to be like, you know, tell me what stocks I should buy. Yeah. I'm like, listen, <laughs> let's, let's, one, let's one step at a time. Right. Let's like, get you out the hole first. <laughs> right. Like right. let's maximize all the free stuff that you get. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, let's take all of that off the table. Right. So we break that out so people get to see it. Right. Here's what you're putting in. Here's what the government's putting in. Here's what your company's putting in. Here's how those things are growing over time. But if you don't put in, you don't get any other stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And then people start to see it because no one's ever explained this stuff right to us. No. Uh, and it, so it becomes really powerful. Um, and it gets really exciting. And now people have a roadmap. Yeah. So we just right? need, we need to educate ourselves. I mean, that's yeah. that's number one. Yes. You, we, we need like, a, you know, like definitely to educate ourselves and also to, to wrap it in the context of, of somebody, you know, who can kind of help walk you through it winds up being like it's an acceleration point. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the the power in what we do is everything builds on everything else. Mm-hmm. The, the reason like like people fail often is they don't aggregate. Right. Like you identify the cash flow. So we can figure out how to maximize the cash flow. I keep saying this stuff we're going to do with it, right? Because it's another step, right? That's why we have to have precision around it. There's going to be a step to eliminate the debt. There's a plan that that's part of what we do, right? right? Mm -hmm. And typically it's in half the time. And we'll walk through people and walk through with them and show them how to do it. And then we're also maximizing assets of retirement, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the basic things that need to be in place. But they're so huge right yeah to to have that in place and now we're starting about okay building on on top of that Mm -hmm. um so it's it's um it's exciting for us because we get to see the transformation that people have like they start off with here's what you were tracking to do and here's what you're tracking to do now right that could be plus or minus four hundred thousand depending on the people several million dollars Mm -hmm. right assets Mm -hmm. of retirement um, because it matters, right? It compounds over time. We start talking about decades. And, and if you talk about two individuals, right, in a household, it can be powerful. Yeah. But we are avoiding the pitfalls. We're catching the phantom expenses, right? right. And then we're, we're, we're avoiding the negative multipliers because mm-hmm. that can make marriages hard enough. Right, right? exactly. <laughs> right. A third of the reason why you have a, for such a high divorce rate is financial, yeah. right? It's communication, it's intimacy, and it's finances, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So uh, this we want to bolster because nothing gets better when you broke, uh, right? Relationships right. don't get better when you broke, right. no matter what anybody tells you, right? right? Um, so it becomes it becomes powerful. Now, so now we become sensitive to how how do things affect cash flow? Right. And people start thinking that way. Right. OK, I'm going to go from Atlanta to, to the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. OK, my costs are going up like two, three X. Yeah. Yeah. You 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 better be paying me. You got to. More, 
right? Because I got to be net better. So that informs you now in terms of how you like negotiate, mm -hmm. right? Because you know what I mean? Like you, you, it can't be a net negative. And the other thing that, you know, managing costs is far more powerful. Like everybody's got a plan to make more money. Mm -hmm. I do not talk to people about that. If you can make more money, anybody, we would already done it. Right. Right. You hear corporations talking about doing what? Downsizing, right sizing, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. outsourcing. It's fancy ways of reducing cash, right? right? Expenses. Because you, to reduce an expense could be 10 times more to your bottom line than increasing a dollar revenue. Mm -hmm. Right? Right, right. So we got to be able to control those things. And that's what we do um, in this. So we're not like, you know, the, the future is based on you getting a promotion. It's like, no, all of that is gravy. We're not building Mm -hmm. any of that mm -hmm. into the planet. We're going to start with where you are now, even though we know that changes. Um, and then everything falls through that framework, stewardship, ownership, legacy. That's how to empower the individual and the household, which we need, right? right? Yeah. Then, then you have the notion of, well, what are these other things that are going to affect that, right? And that's kind of where this, this idea of the black tax started to come in, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Which was, you know, the, the, that is a reduction to legacy. Now, I'm not really so, I'm not necessarily trying to change people's belief systems. What, what I'm just trying to be cognizant of is the minute it shows up in behavior that costs me and mine or you and yours or us and ours legacy, it's a problem. Yeah. And, right? and that's how I feel. Like, I feel so empty that I don't have, like, right now, we don't have anything for our children outside of a decent life insurance plan. But other than that, it's just not, uh, I don't have, I don't, I don't, I don't have a legacy. Yeah. I have children's books and all that, but none of that has like really uh, started to, to pop off. Like I want it to, um, just yet. So I don't have the legacy that I, I wish to have for my children yet. But what you have is 23 years. You're right. Right. And and now is the time. Right. And what you have is, is today, right. Mm -hmm. Decisions that can be made uh, today because, while while we have like these, you know, robust tax deferred savings plans at corporations and 80 percent of corporations have them. Right. So chances are people who are working have them. They also have them for uh, entrepreneurs as well. Right? And, right. and the problem is entrepreneurs, their plan is winning, like the business taking uh -huh. off. Uh -huh. Right. And doing really well. And yet that's critically important. But there are tax deferred savings plans that they can utilize that can have a massive impact. Mm -hmm. Right. Particularly when but very often we know very, very little right about that. Mm -hmm. So it's just making sure that whatever is available for us, we're maximizing. Yeah. So in your right. book, The Black Tax, do you you obviously talk about all of these things that we've already talked about? But then you, you offer other nuggets about, you know, what we have dealt with with our credit and how certain things or certain uh, or companies do. Can you just kind of delve more into what research yeah. you have found with the black tax. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so the black tax is, is this notion. Let me tell you about how the book is kind of um, broken out. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we could talk like a little more in specifics. Right. So the book is broken out into three parts. Right. And the first part, I define what the black tax is, which is the financial cost of discrimination against black people. Right. And then I talk about what research says those costs are in markets that are incredibly vital to wealth accumulation within our community and communities in general. Mm -hmm. So we talk about um, housing. We talk about automotive. 
We talk about the financing that goes along with those two. We talk about online commerce. We talk about the job search. We talk about a bias that happens um, in high-end uh, occupations like doc- uh, lawyers, right, and doctors, um, and capital raising for businesses, right? And the second part of the book, we answer this primary question, which is how is it that after 400 years, 40 plus million African-Americans only own 2% of U.S. wealth? Yeah. Either we are consistently inept or there is something else happening in the environment that we need to take a closer look at, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the third, uh, and I go back, right, from about 1860, and then I start walking through and quantifying all of these uh, massive programs of discrimination that we are familiar with but haven't been quantified. Yes. Um, in the third part of the book, I look at a summary, a summary of where are we now, which is some interesting things that I saw from doing the research, which is this notion that I call like the 2% rule, mm-hmm. which is it seems like in almost every critical area of wealth accumulation, we've been held or hovering around the 2% level, right? So, um, you know, how how much of our money do we spend our own businesses and enterprises? Mm-hmm. Less than 2%. Mm-hmm. How much of our savings and deposits that we put in black financial institutions, right? Banks, less than 2%, wow. right? How much of um, the money distributed to the FHA programs, right? That created the, the, the American middle class went to black people, less than 2%, right? All right? How much land do we own in America? It's less than 2%. It's 1%, same as it was in 1870. Oh my goodness. Right? Yeah, so, so so we start to see this thing coming up. And then I talk about what I call the way forward, mm-hmm. which is an economic framework that's called PhD. And PhD stands for Purchase, Hire, Deposit, Black. Or said differently, purchase, hire, and deposit in ways that create jobs, create businesses, right, um, and expand businesses within the Black community. Mm-hmm. Why is that critical? For two reasons. One... Today, we're missing 6 million jobs in our community. And two, we're missing 1.4 million businesses with staff, like businesses that have employees. Mm-hmm. We're missing 1.4 million of those businesses, right? And if we want to address those things, we have to be focused on how we're deploying our resources. That's, that's the PhD. And we have to encourage those who say, that they are allied with us or they agree in economic development within our communities or mm-hmm. they support us in any way, the way you do that is by demonstrating PhD, right? right. So the P, it, purchasing, is what we could do as individuals. We all know that, right? We have $1.2 trillion of spend across the broader black community. Less than 2% of that is spent on black enterprises, right? Mm-hmm. So that spend is creating 24 million jobs in the U.S. economy. Almost none of those are within our own Community, uh, yeah. Community, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The P for corporations and governments is in their supply chain, right? Mm-hmm. Now, corporate America, less than 2% of all of their supply chain spend, all the buying those businesses do is with black institutions, mm-hmm. right? Small shifts in um, how we are spending as individuals, or as businesses and governments and organizations can have massive shift in the demand 
uh, for black business, mm -hmm. right? Which is a massive stimulant for hiring, right? And we tend through the network effect to hire people like us, mm -hmm. right? And so uh, on average, you know, black businesses will have about 75% or so, right? Uh, black people working there, which means by definition, 25% roughly aren't. So we're the most diverse businesses in the world. Right. So if you want diversity, put that in air quotes, then you should get you can get that by commercializing black enterprises. Mm -hmm. And then deposits is just uh it's, it's just simple. It's it's just understanding the power of where we put our resources. We have over a hundred billion dollars in checking and savings accounts at various institutions. Well over that amount. Black right? people. Yeah. And very little of that right is in any black financial institution now what do banks do banks a keep your money safe yes but what do they really do what they really do is they provide capital they lend to businesses to governments and to consumers that's their primary function right mm -hmm. so what people don't understand is like when you're putting money in black financial institutions you're actually funding black enterprises hmm. right we got to get away from this notion of talking about support. Yeah. It's this charitable mindset. And unfortunately, we don't give our best to charity. Yeah. Right. When we do business, when we talk about buying stuff from like Fendi and Prada, we're not talking about supporting them. Right. Mm -hmm. Because the idea is we're exchanging goods for some kind of some money for some good or service that's worth it. Right. But for black businesses, we say support. Not realizing that support is a one way street. Right. The foundation supports you. You don't support the foundation. Mm -hmm. Right. So it is it's 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 uh, it's it's powerful. Right. Because people are really um, like shocked, surprised that someone has put numbers behind it or at least aggregate aggregated the work that many, many researchers have done over long periods of time to to, to talk about what these costs are. Right that it, it elevates the discussion from why are we having this conversation to, wow, I had no idea. How do we address it? Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. So, but so I'll, I'll kind of, you know, pause there. And yeah. Get your, your thoughts. When you uh, were doing, how long did it take you to gather all of this research before you put it in this book? And what was so, I mean, you, you've talked about the things that were surprising to you, but what was the most surprising um piece of information that you got from the research that uh, that you did for this particular project for this book um, honestly it is I kept being astounded by what I was finding mm -hmm. there 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 isn't um, one piece one of the things that jump out at you is that it never stopped yeah like we are presented with information like, oh, there was slavery and then it ended. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you had segregation and then it ended. And every point that something ended was a new beginning for us to accumulate. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it, it never stopped. Right. So I, I, I would go back and I would say, OK, you can never price the the heartache, the destruction um associated with not controlling yourself mm -hmm. and body and your children and your family and, and all of that. Right. But you can price the labor extracted from millions of people over half, uh, over a quarter of a millennia. Mm -hmm. right? Researchers have looked at that. So you could say it's not a big deal, 
But then I say, well, here, here are the numbers, right? Yeah. That they're saying. And the yeah. numbers are gargantuan, right? Mm-hmm. I, like I go back and I price, what was the economic value of those 4 million people in 1860? Mm-hmm. You're telling me it wasn't a big deal. I got it. I hear you. But when I look at it, they say you have to measure the value of those people in terms of U.S. net wealth, which is up to 20% of U.S. net wealth, or GDP, which is total national income, which is one to two years of it. Well, U.S. net wealth is $85 trillion. Up to 20% of that is $17 trillion. But you're telling me it wasn't a big deal, right? But these are really, really large numbers. U.S. GDP or net income is $19 trillion a year. One to two years of that is between 19 and 38 trillion. Even mm-hmm. if I split the difference on that, it's 28 and a half, mm-hmm. right? So these are massive and gargantuan numbers. Those 4 million people were 50% of the full net wealth of the South. Mm-hmm. 50%, just those people. Yeah. Right? So if somebody's going to take 50%, you're probably going to fight over that. Yeah. Right. It's 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 that is too massive and substantial. Right. Like going back and learning about like I went back and I looked at like 40 acres and a mule because we all heard about that. Of course. Of course. And but I looked at it differently. So I said, well, if you had actually distributed 40 acres in in a mule, 40 acres to all those people, it'd be 160 million acres. Right. Yes. Now, I've looked at some land before with some with some friends, and we looked at like 400 acres. And to do that, you got to go up in a helicopter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So 160 million is hard to conceive, right? That's what that would have been. Now, how do you price that in today's dollars? Well, one way you could do it is there's government statistics on what the average price of an acre is today. It's between $3,020 and $6,350. So I can price those 160 million acres. Mm-hmm. And on the high end, you're talking about a trillion dollars in today's terms. Wow. Right? Right? Like it starts to change. It, that that sinks in. That sinks in totally differently. Now. It's totally different, right? Right, right. Now, 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 now that, that never happened. Okay. But you know what did happen? A couple of years before that, Congress passed a law called the Homestead Act. Mm-hmm. Now, we might have learned about that in high school. Right. But here's what they probably didn't teach us in full. A, the Homestead Act, they distributed 246 million acres to 1.5 million white families, Mm -mm -mm. right, over a 60-year period, right? All you had to do was live on that land, up to 160 acres a person, live on that land for Mm -hmm. five years, and it was yours. Mm -hmm. By the way, five years back in the day was how long it took you to naturalize and be a citizen. Right. So you come in here with nothing. You have a chance to get 160 acres, live on it for five years, and you get it. You get now. If you had priced 246 million acres today in today's dollars, that's up to 1.6 trillion dollars. Now they did give that out. That's on the high end, a million dollars a family. Now I'm all for the bootstraps, right, right, hard work. Mm-hmm. But that, them a hella bootstraps, right, right, right absolutely, million dollar bootstraps, right, right. Now, like people don't know this, right? Like they think like they built everything themselves and we could start from scratch. And I'm like, well, let's let's look deeply at this. Mm-hmm. Right. Even if you didn't stay on the land and work it, you still got the value of that for free right. in exchange for the resources. Right. So and by the way, this nine up to 93 million Americans today are direct beneficiaries of that. 
So, so it starts to become like, wait a minute, like I never understood that, right? On both sides. Yeah. You telling me I need to work hard and that you did it all yourself. And the other person like, man, I, I didn't even know. And then when I went in, I studied like what, what Jim Crow was. Mm-hmm. Because I like to understand things to a point where I can explain it. And people say, wow, it's clear. And then they say, wow. Yeah. Right? Which yeah. is literally what happens on like every page. So I went back and I, I like was looking at the Jim Crow period just to understand it. Like I didn't know, you know, you if you close your eyes and you think about it, you think of like poverty, you know? Yeah. And, and you know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, all that kind of stuff. But. It's incredibly nondescriptive. It's like the Sean mm-hmm. Rochester period. Like, what does mm-hmm. that mean? Mm-hmm. Right? So I went back and I looked at it. And it's a series of, like, laws and customs. And laws and customs that were designed to impose 100% tax on black labor. Mm-hmm. Right? Because slavery, by definition, right, is 100% tax on your labor. Nothing that you produce is yours. You are not even yours. Right? Now, how would someone do that and why would they do it? That's why historical context matters, right? So you're talking about right after the Civil War and 50% of their economic value is gone. 22 trillion, vaporized, because those people are free now. Yes. Right? People don't understand that land is not worth anything if you don't have people to work it. Right. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to work that land. Yeah, absolutely. So you, so you are not going to be free. We're not going to give you your own land. Right. So it so it becomes like, all right, what's the most effective, efficient way to put people back to land, back to work? And it was through this idea of sharecropping, which is like the underpinning of this Jim Crow period. Right. And sharecropping is a contract. Right. So they took those large plantations and they broke them into smaller lots and it was black families could settle on the lots and those families would grow cash crops. Right. And then they would share in a portion of the crops they produce share cropping. Right. Sounds fantastic, except the white landowner sets the terms and conditions on that contract. Mm hmm. Except yeah, yeah. it takes a long time to produce crops. Like people, people who who come from farming, who understand that work, know how much goes into it. You don't get crops tomorrow, Mm-mm. right? Now these people effectively have nothing. 1870, black people own 0.17 percent of U.S. wealth. Effectively nothing. So your landowner's got to spot you clothes. He's got to spot you food. He's got to spot you tools. He's got to spot you the corn. Right. The seeds. He's got a spot. You everything. Right. Yeah. At rates up to 70 percent per annum. And some right. of these contracts say if you fall ill, you can't deliver the crops. They can outsource it to somebody else mm-hmm. and charge it to you. Oh, right? uh, Do you, you, you yeah, I get it. Yeah, 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 I get it. Right. Yeah. Now, when, when I'm in a room with folks and I'm taking people through it. Right. I say, you know what? I know what you're going to say. You're going to say I wouldn't sign that contract. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, I feel you. But you know what? There's a law for that. And the law for that is called vagrancy laws, which means if you do not own land and you cannot prove that you are gainfully employed, that is a crime. Right. And you can be placed in a state or county jail. My goodness. Right. Now you say, you know what? I will sign a contract 
but I'm just not going to do the work. Mm-hmm. Ah, there's a law for that, right? Those are called contract enforcement laws, which means if you sign an employment contract and you break it, that's a criminal offense, and you could be put in the state or county jail. So that all of that, all of right? that information just, and, and, and fast forward to now, we're, where are we, you know? How, how do you accumulate resources? Right, By the exactly. way, that lasted for 75 years. I'm not talking about a three-year period, mm-hmm. right? And even if you say, you know what, I'm going to sit in the jail, get three squares and chill out. No, 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 no. They have something for that. That's called convict leasing, mm. right? So where they will lease you out to the same farmer you didn't want to work for or to a private corporation. You know what's worse about convict leasing? They have no interest in your residual value. A slave owner will kill you if necessary. They will beat you within an inch of your life, but they would prefer for you to be around to continue to work. To work, to work. On a lease, I care only about the next 6, 18, 12, 36 months. Your life beyond that means nothing to me. Mortality rates up to 50%. Right? Yeah. So when people understand like, Wow, that is how you impose 100% tax. That's why they call it uh, slavery by a different name. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Right? So, and, and when you think about it, you got this farmer or this landowner that controls. Now, now when you bring the crops to market, the market is the farmer. And you know what he tells you? How much it's worth. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, they control your income and they control your cost structure which means they control your profit, your ability to accumulate. So your accumulation, it will be zero. And to make sure that you don't move to someone who's more generous, they'll always make sure that your expenses are higher than your revenue. And they'll roll that debt over. That's called perpetual debt servitude. And you have millions of our ancestors living under that community, that condition. How do they accumulate? How do they leave a legacy? Right. Like you can't just walk outside and look at the world as it is today and think that we opted into the situation. Yes. Right. 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 And what the book does, it takes all of that off the table. All of it. Right. Because I'm not giving you my opinion on these things. All of this is tied to research. You got a problem, take it up with hey. any number of PhDs. Right. They'll, they'll take you through it. And when you're done with that, I got 200 more for you. <laughs> right. Yeah. So this is a wealth of knowledge you've given us in the last 50 minutes. So p- tell people how they need to get this book so that they <laughs> can get this wealth of knowledge on paper. So the book is available uh, exclusively only at www.blacktaxedpastenseblacktaxed.com, right? Uh, it's not on Amazon. A lot of people look uh, for Amazon. It's not there. You can get it either paperback or ebook, whatever is your preference. It is a uh, powerful paradigm shifting read. Yeah. By the time you're finished with the last page, you'll be a different person seeing things differently. Within the first like week of launching the book, I had a million dollars of the commitment to shift to spending towards black enterprises. Oh, man. That's how affected people were. But that's right? how you inject change. Absolutely. <laughs> that's how it like, happens. If, right. If we're not like I'm interested in creating jobs, creating businesses and expanding businesses in our community. If we're not doing that, then we're not doing anything like that's what I'm focused on. That's what I encourage everyone to be focused on. When I speak at corporations and they're like how they help, you help by making sure we're represented in your payroll and on your supply chain. 
mm-hmm. right? And that you're putting your deposits in our institutions, right? This is all part of this cycle of PhD. We got to do more than just walking and talking and marching. We should do all of that, but it needs to show up. If it's not creating jobs and it's creating or expanding businesses, it's not doing what's necessary in our communities. Wow. Wow. Mm, This is good information. So in the fall of 1994, you became a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Did Alpha Phi Alpha choose you or did you choose Alpha Phi Alpha? Um, I, I chose it's, it's mutual. Okay. <laughs> for, for sure. Right. Like, um, you know, uh, they, it was mutual for sure. Gotcha. Like they knew, they knew who I was, uh-huh. they knew who they were, uh-huh. you know what I mean? And that made a lot of sense. Right. Um, and, and it, it's just amazing. Like we, we had like, so it's the Mu Sigma chapter at University of Rochester is, mm-hmm. is where, I, where I pledged. And we're, we're, we're very blessed, right? Because we have, um, you know, a lot of brothers that are very uh, successful, yeah. right? And, and, and we, we have like a, it's like the young brothers want to do well. You know what I'm saying? Like they want to be beasts, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and we, we, we have this ethos where we encourage that uh, in each other. And it's a great thing to be a part of. Right. Um, so we, we have a healthy sense of confidence. <laughs> right? Yes, I know. And that tends to that tends to rub off. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, on each other. And that's like a that's a great thing. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Before I let you go, what is your definition of cool? Oh, my definition of cool. Um, I think. um well, let me let me my my definition of cool is based on what I saw when I was being educated in Barbados. Oh, right? wow. OK. Yeah. And it was something that was so different to me. And, and, I, and I liked it a lot. So cool is is, is clearly you got a, a vibe, right? You mm-hmm. got a swagger. Um, people like being in your presence. You know what I mean? And you like being in their presence. Right. Uh, and there's a, a kind of an unspoken nature to it. You know, everybody can feel it. it's palpable. But. But what I saw in Barbados, which was powerful to me, is that you never had to choose between, like, being cool and being smart mm-hmm. or being athletic and being smart. You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's a lot of pressure up here. Right. Uh, in the States where it's like you got to be one or the other. You know what I mean? Like the the. The, the smart cats are over here and they're not cool by definition, right? Any other folks. And that's really, really uh, hard, especially for sisters, right? Right. Uh, but what I liked down there, man, was I was like, I was put in like the classes. Like I came from the, from Queens, right? I went down to Barbados, went to school there. Super hard for me because I was behind when mm-hmm. I was in Queens. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you take those tests and they, you behind. Like I was just the average kid that was behind. So I went to Barbados, a super accelerated program that they have on their bananas education. Right. And I really shouldn't have been there. But and I got put in the best class, I think by mistake. But, right? <laughs> but okay. I rose. I rose to the occasion. And we always were in trouble. I mean, we stayed it. And down there, they don't play around. Right. Right. But we were the best. We were the smartest class. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and and. And we were the music class. Like, I don't even have an ear for music. And I learned to to play, like, two instruments. And I, I got certificates from the Royal School of Music. It's a different ethos. Like, it's just like they view it as 
you know, if you, if you, the problem is you didn't work hard enough, mm-hmm. right? The high expectations are high. So you could be cool and smart. Right, right. Uh-oh. Hello. Oh, there we go. Okay. It, yeah, something broke uh, broke up there. So you said you can be cool and smart. Yeah, and I love that. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like it's kind of like the you know, you don't have to sacrifice it. I feel like the the images that we get make us sacrifice like the smart piece. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it's like you could be both. You could be a double threat. You could be a triple threat. That's what you are, Sean. That's what I'm trying to be. <laughs> That's, That's what I'm awesome. trying to be. That's awesome. Well, I certainly appreciate you. Man, I felt like I was in your office getting a, like, my first consultation. <laughs> That's what it felt like. Amen. Amen. Man, it's a beautiful thing. Um, are you on social media? Do you uh, give out tidbits yeah. on information, you know, that you'd like to share? If so, please share that with our um, our followers. Yeah, yeah. so I- – yeah, so I'm on Facebook with the young cats tell me it's like, I guess, for the older crowd. It's right? okay. It's all right. Um, and I'm cool. I like it, you know. Me too. And then I'm also, I'm also Sean Rochester. I mean, Sean Rochester on Facebook, easy to find. And then I'm also um, on Instagram, uh, Sean.Rochester. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm putting out information about where I'm talking uh, in different places. You know, people can, can see me and what's kind of happening with the book. And the response and how it's resonating, uh, you know, so on and so forth. Sounds I have a, tw- a Twitter account, but I, I really haven't done anything. I know. With, I hear with Twitter. you. Yeah. I, I got to work on it. I'm trying to get my social media game up. It's all know. good. It's all good. So I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. It's great uh, meeting you. And I, I do look forward to staying in touch. Okay. Thank you. Have a great one. My name is Sean Rochester, and I am the CEO of Good Steward. LLC and the author of a new book called The Black Tax, The Cost of Being Black in America. And I am a cool bruh of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Ice, 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 too cold, too cold. Ice, 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 the black and old gold.